Welcome to Esther Illusions. This is our Mandalorian Season 2 coverage for Episode 6, Chapter 14, The Tragedy. This episode is uh, really one of the more significant episodes of The Mandalorian in terms of broader Star Wars lore, both for introducing the planet Tynoth, which is a kind of another pile of rocks with uh, at least there's some grass, and there is a nice uh, Stonehenge-like figure with a uh, big magic rock in the middle that Baby Yoda can use to... uh, Maybe he's podcasting on that rock. I think that a lot of people like to imagine that uh, the little fellow's just sitting there, uh, maybe blasting some Enya. Sail away, sail away, sail away. Before we get into all of that, I mean, the more... Most important reveal from this episode would be the return, the long-awaited return of Boba Fett, the character whose initial appearance in Empire, well, initial appearance in the Star Wars Holiday Special, and we're in December. Uh, I, I don't recommend watching the Holiday Special, it's pretty horrible, but uh, you can find Boba Fett's He debuts in one of the cartoon segments. Um, For those of you who have never seen the holiday special, I think one of the reasons that it's really carries so much derision is is not necessarily for the fact that uh, the writing is terrible, though it is. It it, it follows the the variety show format that a lot of shows use, particularly in the 70s. Uh, Every once in a while, you see them kind of try to make a comeback. There was one a couple years ago with uh, Maya Rudolph and uh, Martin Short. And, uh, I mean, the Muppet Show, the original Muppet Show, also followed a variety show format. There's a lot of bad musical numbers, and there's a lot of bad musical numbers in the Holiday Special. But the Holiday Special is forever beloved for the introduction of Boba Fett. And Boba Fett is a fan favorite. He's actually my father's favorite character in all of Star Wars. And I I guess to call him a fan favorite has to inevitably kind of carry a grain of salt because... I mean, let's be serious. Boba Fett basically is is almost not a character in the original trilogy. He is uh, a bounty hunter who has, I think, really two... One or two scenes of dialogue. I can't even remember if he talks on the bridge of the uh, Executor when all the bounty hunters are there. And then uh, he has the, he's no good to me, dead, line in on uh, Cloud City. He does not talk at all in Return of the Jedi, and he's killed rather unceremoniously when a... Well, he falls into the Sarlacc pit. He's obviously not killed when a blind, uh, blinded, temporary, temporarily blinded Han Solo bumps into... Literally bumps into his jetpack. We have this great, great bounty hunter, supposedly great, finds the Millennium Falcon, and then gets killed by Han kind of flailing around like an idiot on the... Uh, speeders around the Sarlacc pit in Return of the Jedi, so kind of a mess. And then, of course, we have him in uh, Attack of the Clones, when you have uh, Tamura Morrison now playing the character, who plays uh, also the father, Jango Fett, and presumably every single one of the clone fighters. Let's just pretend that he's also playing every single clone trooper who has their helmet on, because we all know that Jango Fett was the template for the clone uh, clone army. And Boba Fett himself. So, I mean, that's kind of... I think we've seen a lot of people uh, sort of reevaluate the prequels over the past couple uh, years. 
I have in, uh, I did an article last year about, I, I really do like The Phantom Menace. We haven't done a podcast episode about it, but uh, as, far, as far as movies go, uh, there's a lot of stupid things, midi-chlorians, uh, Jar Jar, obviously, and uh, the, the trade policy. I mean, if you're going to make an action movie centered around trade taxation, I mean... That's that's obviously kind of a mess, but that said, I mean, it's a very straightforward action movie without kind of the downtime that the love story of the second one or, or Anakin kind of going to the dark side and the third one had. It It's a straight shot film, and uh, Qui-Gon's great, and the lightsaber battle I think is really the best lightsaber battle in the whole series, and I don't think anything in the uh, new trilogy uh top that and certainly not that dumb cgi filled uh mess on mustafar in the uh in Re- uh, revenge of the sith so i like the phantom menace a lot uh a lot of people like a lot uh, a lot of people like attack of the clones and revenge of the sith a lot and that's great but uh jango fett i think r- regardless of what how regardless of how you feel about attack of the clones i personally think it's the, by far the worst of them all it is well r- <sighs> Rise of Skywalker is pretty damn bad, too. I haven't really thought about that. Yeah, there. I mean, it's kind of a toss-up, but Django Fett was great. And it's great that we have more, uh, Tamara Morrison around to uh, reprise the role. And it's great that we have Boba Fett, because you wouldn't have Mandal... Like, it, a lot of people, uh, a lot of casual fans, not really the kind of people who listen to a podcast like this, but in general, a lot of people get confused, and they say, well, isn't Boba Fett a Mandalorian? And no, he's not a Mandalorian. But he never takes off his helmet either. That's just because he doesn't really have a lot of screen time. I mean, as a kid, he doesn't wear a helmet. But And uh, Jango Fett obviously takes his helmet off. But they're not Mandalorians. But to a casual audience, obviously they're going to think, gee, these people also, Mandalorians look like Boba Fett. Therefore, Ma- Boba Fett equals Mandalorian. And, I mean, maybe next episode we'll see some some clarification on that. Who knows? But uh, long story short, this episode, the tragedy was a uh, perfect, perfect victory lap for a character who's really never gotten his due. For all the love of Boba Fett, there isn't really a ton of reasons. There's not really a ton of rational reasons behind love of a character who basically appears for a handful of minutes. But, I mean, the action scenes in this episode were spectacular. They were a lot of fun. I mean... (laughs) I feel like kind of a broken record when I say that because, I mean, this is Star Wars and the the action scenes are are generally speaking, they're pretty spectacular. But this episode in particular managed to kind of move the ball forward while also kind of with a 35-minute runtime basically just, just having the plot get out of the way as much as possible. And with that said... You know, we've we spent the past couple of minutes talking about everything but the beginning of the episode. But we did have a very touching scene in the beginning with Mando and Gragu. I'll probably still interchangeably call him Baby Yoda at times. I think a lot of people are probably in the same boat as me. But so they're in the cockpit of the Razorcrest, and Baby Yoda has his ball that it's it's kind of like the the handle of of one of the levers that he loves to play with, and. You, we have Mando trying to basically uh, work on his, his force techniques and all of that. And then there's also kind of a touching moment where Mando acknowledges that if the, the if their journey to Tynoth, the 
uh, and in Central Origin Home of the Jedi. If if they are successful there, if they do get other Jedi, then uh, their time together would be over. And that's kind of sad. Of course, as viewers, we have to take all of this with a grain of salt, knowing that there is no way in hell that this show is going to separate Mando and Gragu for any extended period of time. It's just not going to happen. But we have this uh, we have this touching moment that was a lot of fun, and it was cute. And then they get there, and uh, I mean, I wouldn't really know what to do with the with the rock in the middle of the the rock temple. You know, the the round rock that Baby Yoda has to climb on, and then you've got that blue force energy while he's... Presumably, you've got to assume for as long as he's been there, he's sending out some kind of message. But then we see the return of uh, Boba Fett's ship, which is canonically known as Slave One. It'd be interesting to see if the show keeps that name. I think that name is pretty horrible. And it's never actually been uttered in live action, so, I mean, they can get rid of it. That would be probably the smart move. And uh, we have the inevitable uh, brief kind of conflict. I don't, you know, I mean, I, I talked about this a little bit in the recap, but Mando and Boba Fett are both kind of similar in the sense that they are, depending on how you look at it, uh, bad guys. I mean, Mando's are our protagonist, and Boba Fett is generally speaking an antagonist in the series, but they're not. And, and I mean, this show was able. Uh, this episode was kind of able to to show the other side of Boba Fett that he he's not a bad guy. He does bad things. A lot of people can sometimes treat those two things as interchangeable, but they really shouldn't be treated as such because I mean, people are are, are more complex. If you want to say, "Oh, bounty hunter equals bad person," I, I mean, I'm not. I I don't blame you, but it it, it really is uh, supposed to be a little bit more complex than that. And uh, we also get some confirmation in um, the first season we had Fennec Shand, played by Ming-Na Wen, who was left for dead on Tatooine in the fifth episode of the whole series. And then at the end of that episode, she's approached by a figure. We don't get to see the figure. And I remember from covering the show last year, I mean, really the two running theories were that it was uh, either Moff Gideon, which kind of got debunked, uh, given that he did appear later on on Navarro without Fennec. It would be kind of odd if if he had been the one to uh, rescue her, given that he hadn't really been doing any of that kind of stuff. And then uh, Boba Fett was obviously the other one, which would have made more sense, and I think that was probably the more popular of the two. Well... Giancarlo Esposito had not made an appearance on the show yet as of the fifth episode. Everybody knew that he was going to be on the show. So I don't want to, I want to kind of try and explain that big reveal at the end of episode five. I mean, we we weren't recording uh, weekly recaps of the Mandalorian at the time that started this season, but I I, I think that, I think that people were kind of uh, caught between, I, th- those those two popular theories were... It's hard to say that one was more popular than the other, except that after we saw Moff Gideon, then Boba Fett kind of became the one. And we obviously saw Boba Fett at Make a Cameo, a uh, much clearer cameo with with uh, Morrison making... Uh, with his face being shown at the end of the first episode of this season. So, and, and I've talked about this in uh, past recaps, but... It remained a big open question as to whether we would actually... I mean, I, I guess we probably... 
I, I thought we would see Boba Fett at some point, but this season, but it remained to be seen if we were just going to, if we were going to see, see him really make a substantial appearance or if we were going to see like yet another cameo and maybe they were going to save that for the third season and the way that he, you know, the way he'd been built up with these brief, small snippets of suggesting that he might make an appearance. That was certainly, that that wasn't the most ridiculous theory. Although when we have Cobb Vant with the uh, Boba Fett armor, in the first episode, and we know that Boba Fett, we know that Mando has Boba Fett's armor, the best scar. Then, uh, I mean, it's not too surprising, but for a show that is really like to drag its feet, for I mean, they, they did that a lot last season. There were a lot of episodes that were fun, they were self contained, they were entertaining, but they didn't really move the broader ball forward, as Baby Yoda might like with his little tiny ball. This season, aside from the second episode with Frog Lady and the Ice Planet, which I was not a big fan of, uh, they haven't done that. And I, I don't need the plot to totally get progressed every every episode to be satisfied. It, it is a very entertaining half hour to 45 minutes of television each and every week. So it didn't really, it didn't make an absolute big difference, but it was it was really nice to see this episode kind of pair the two things that the show does well, which is... Uh, homages to broader Star Wars lore, and then also killer action sequences, and yet, I mean, this episode was directed by Robert Rodriguez, who's made, uh, Sin City, he's made Elite Battle Angel, I mean, he's a very, very seasoned director who, I mean, is frankly overqualified to be directing television, but it's Star Wars, so I imagine that, uh, long line of film directors who want to get their hands on this Fine, fine show. I mean, Quentin Tarantino directed an episode of CSI like 15 years ago, so maybe overqualified. Under, I mean, who really cares? I would love, I'll throw my hand in the ring. I would love to direct an episode of The Mandalorian. And I'll even still do the recap. <laughs> so they have this standoff that's like kind of stupid. I mean, the standoff between Fennec, Boba Fett, and Mando. I mean, it's, it's, I've said this before. I mean, it's really traditional Western storytelling of, of Western being the genre, not like the like America being Western civilization, uh, but but Western cinema as like cowboys kind of stuff. You know, they stand off. You put down your weapon. No, you put down your weapon. I'll put down my weapon. Uh, I'll give you your armor. Safe passage to the trial. Blah blah blah. And then we've got for whatever reason we have Boba Fett say to Mando, "Take off your jetpack." Which I, I thought was like, I, what, like wh- why, why does the jetpack get singled out as the take this off? Why, you know, how about take off your Beskar armor? Because, I mean, maybe maybe he wouldn't even be able to shoot him if he's got his, his body armor. I don't know. But we know from later on in the episode that he had to take off the armor so that he couldn't fly after Baby Yoda. And that is a. Uh, the show kind of had to leap from this point to get to that point. And I mean, that's like kind of, I mean, that's, that's okay. What I, I would have, and I've talked about this also in the past a bit. I would have really loved, I mean, I have been saying secretly, I would really love for, uh, so, so when Boba Fett got out of the Sarlacc pit in the, uh, expanded universe, the books of the, 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 all the the stuff where Grand Admiral Thrawn came from, all the books that really kind of kept the series alive in the absence of no movies. I mean, from Return of the Jedi to Phantom Menace, we had about 15 years with no Star Wars. 
And yet, uh, Timothy Zen's uh, Heir to the Empire trilogy in the early 90s really, I talked about this a lot last episode, really kind of uh, propped the series alive, uh, franchise alive, and that was really fun. But within the expanded universe, Boba Fett survives. I mean, obviously, they're going to keep him around. And you know what? In general, in science fiction and fantasy storytelling, if you don't see a person, if you don't see the dead body, they're probably, and even if you do see the dead body, Game of Thrones, Lady Stoneheart, sometimes they're not dead. But uh, he climbs out of the Sarlacc pit, something that uh, I guess this episode, the first season of this episode kind of set up as plausible. But um, Dengar, who is the bandit, the human bounty hunter from Empire who was on the bridge of the Executor who had the bandages on his head, he rescues him and cares for him and their buds for a little while and then they go their separate ways and Boa Fett's kind of a dick to him in the books. If you've read the books, I uh, I see you, I hear you. But uh, th- that would be fun. Uh, some other exposition that would have been nice and actually more relevant to the plot. I mean, Fennec and Mando did not leave things on the greatest of terms. And you wouldn't, that's not really all that reflected in this episode. They seem pretty pretty happy. And, and Fennec, Fennec and Boba Fett seem pretty happy. I mean, everybody's like kind of, we have this, um... We have this brief, brief uh, battle back and forth. Not not physical battle, but a battle of words between Mando and Boba about who gets to wear Beskar. If you're not Mandalorian, you can't wear it. My father Jango fought the Mandalorian Civil War. And then, of course, Mando finally gives him his armor back. Well, Boba Fett takes the armor and then Mando kind of says you can keep it. But we had this battle and uh, Boba Fett proved... Uh, you know, once and uh, not once and for all, but but served as another perfect reminder. Stormtrooper battle armor is worthless. The Ewoks in Return of the Jedi were able to fling rocks at the stormtroopers and kill them, or I mean, maybe they just knocked them out. We don't. We're not really. I mean, they're playing drums on their helmets afterwards. We don't really see any hostages during the yub nub uh, ceremony. So I mean, maybe they died, but I mean, this armor is worthless. It can't. It can't save anybody. And, I don't know, I mean, that was fun. Mando, Mando not being able to get to Gragu while he's doing his, uh, sell away, sell away, sell away meditation, I mean, I don't know. It is no surprise to anyone that Baby Yoda got kidnapped before the season was over. So, I mean, yeah, that happened. Him getting unconscious, I mean, that's that's really him kind of exiting stage left to allow Fennec and Boba Fett a chance to have some action scenes, which was kind of long-awaited fan service. I don't have any problem with it. It was really fun to watch. The best moment in the whole episode by far, and uh, maybe one of the best sort of mic drop moments uh, of the show's many, many, many impressive battle uh, sequences is... Uh, when the uh, stormtroopers are retreating, I didn't really even know the stormtroopers did retreat, but they were trying to retreat. And then we have uh, Boba Fett fling, fling down his kind of the antenna that he has on his helmet, which is really just kind of like a scouter from Dragon Ball Z almost, and uh, or a scope. And uh, he fires his missile. He fires his missile, which, I mean, maybe it's the same missile. Mandalorian only takes place five years after uh, Return of the Jedi, so maybe maybe it's the same missile. I don't think we'll get any clarification on that. But he fires a missile, and he destroys one ship, which crashes into the second ship, and boom, 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 what an explosion. I mean, that was fun. Uh, 
But then the dark troopers come, and they have jetpacks, and they capture Gragu, and they fly away, and Mando can't fly away because he had to take off his jetpack for no, no real good reason. And then um, Boba Fett runs to his ship, but he's ordered not to fire because you could harm the child. I mean, yeah, a ship, we don't really see uh, scenes where a uh, anyone, really, Jedi or not, can repel blaster fire from a starship, so... Okay. And then they get up to the Imperial Cruiser, where Moth Gideon... I mean, what's really kind of fun about what the Mandalorian's doing, and I, for all of last season, they really kind of emphasized this is a standalone show set in the Star Wars universe. They weren't really getting into the nitty-gritty of the New Republic and all of that kind of stuff. But Force Awakens really didn't deal with the First Order at all or why it all went to shit, and uh, that really bothered me. And people say, well, you have to read the companion material. I like reading companion material, but if there's gaping questions when you're walking out of a movie theater, you can't say, go check the companion material. No. Take five minutes and say, this is why everything went to shit since you were all yubnubbing in the last, uh, the, the last movie. So, I mean, come on. But uh, we are starting to see the formation of the First Order, which is really, quite frankly, a lot of fun. And... I mean, Giancarlo Esposito is so much fun in pretty much everything he's in, from uh, Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul as uh, Gus Fring, and then we've got, he was great in The Boys. I mean, he's a phenomenal actor, and I, he, he's, he, I've pretty much only seen him ever play villains, but uh, he seems like a very warm person who's, who just kind of loves what he's doing and probably is really just soaking in the fact that he is on one of, one of the great runs of a of a working television actor so uh props him he's he's a delight every scene he's in is is fun even when he's being a very naughty man but uh a lot of fun as an actor and uh he gets to go into the interrogation room and he's just loving the fact that uh grogu is choking the shit out of those uh stormtroopers and uh i mean i just feel bad for the guy using the force tires him out it looks kind of tired i get tired sometimes when we're done recording that's not the force either, but <laughs> so I mean that that that'll be fun to watch. I I hope we'll see the we'll see the doctor from the first season come back uh, to run some more tests. I mean I hope they don't dive into the midichlorian stuff too much, but I'm guessing, especially uh, from uh, two episodes ago, I'm guessing that's probably the direction they're going in. We don't need midichlorians. You know what? Bring back Jar Jar Binks before we before we do midi-chlorians that would be great but so mando boba fett and fennec are are just fabulous i you know when i saw that when they said they were teaming up and they were gonna um help him i i thought that that would be just fabulous and uh i was thinking in the back of my head like what a great way to get rid of cara dune and gina carano like she's problematic just have you know everything that ming na is in is is just pretty perfect they also uh potential mulan tribute the animated mulan uh fennec at one point pushes a boulder down which is just straight out of mulan uh she's a fabulous actress i love drawn er uh she's also been in uh stargate stargate universe not stargate atlantis and uh she was also on agents of shield for a while so she's had a really great prolific career as well and i i i Having Mando and Boba team up together is really as as rewarding to fans as you can get, and it would it would be even better if we didn't have Cara Dune also. But uh, then she appeared, 
I mean, how if Tynoth is this great ancestral Jedi? I mean, it's supposedly supposed to be hard to find, kind of like when Luke was on Pork Planet, just chilling, drinking blue milk, and hanging out with his porks. That they need a whole map to Skywalker, which was really the dumbest. The whole map to Skywalker thing was just a, a stand-in for the Death Star plans that R2 had in A New Hope because A Force Awakens is really just kind of a remake of that movie. But, uh, so, I mean, apparently Navarro and Tyna, I mean, we don't know how much time has passed. We assume there's probably some urgency because, uh, you know, they're not, uh, Boba Fett's not going to say, okay, we, we, you know, we, you're supposed to really want to stay on, on, when there's a kidnapping, you're supposed to want to stay on the trail while it's warm. But they're able to go from uh, Tyna to Navarro. And he goes to, uh, he wants to recruit her, and she says, oh, I'm a marshal now, New Republic can't help you with your naughty shit, but, oh, wait, child is, uh, child is captured, so I guess I'll help you. I mean, fine. That's kind of a trope of storytelling. But, and I, I don't want to skip over something that tragically happened. The Razor Crest needed to get blown up. I'm glad the Razor Crest was blown up. Baby Yoda doesn't have a better room on that ship. That's kind of upsetting. But also, I mean, honestly, after the Ice Planet, that thing was just, you know, to quote to quote Luke in A New Hope, what a piece of junk! What a horrible ship that... I mean, it's fun. It's been a nice set, but uh, it's, it's, it's probably time for the show to switch things up. So, R.I.P. Razor Quest, uh, you, you've, you've done your job. The reintroduction of Kara also allowed us to set up the return of Bill Burr's Mayfeld, who was last seen in uh, New Republic custody at the end of uh, in uh, the sixth episode of last season. I mean, do we need him back? No. It kind of annoys me that we have two episodes left of next season. It kind of annoys me that we have to kind of go back backwards. I mean, kind of the beauty of this show is like the idea that it's kind of more... It's not an anthology show, but it has two it has two cast members, one of whom is a puppet. And, you know, characters can come and go. But they don't necessarily need to come, go, and then come back. Uh, and we'll see. I'm not terribly excited to see Mayfield back, but uh, maybe it'll be great. Maybe he will be a good guy again after he betrayed Mando. Uh, I don't know. This, this show has earned the benefit of the doubt. Ice Planet episode sucked, but everything else has been really great this season. So I, I'm certainly uh, two more episodes left, and that kind of sad. I, 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 I think also kind of from the perspective of me not wanting Mayfield back is we just got Fennec and Boba Fett back, and I guess now we're having Cara Dune. I, I don't really want. I, I think that they're kind of good. I, I'd rather see uh, Carl Weathers' grief participate in the the action again versus. Uh, you know, I I want pretty much a Boba Fett to have his own episode. I, I would love if Boba Fett just joined the cast. I think a lot of people would like that, and Tamara Morrison did a fabulous job with this episode. So that's where I'm coming from. And uh, two episodes left isn't that kind of sad? I don't know. It's been uh, it's been fun, and it's been fun doing these recaps. I know for some people, uh, the idea of just having me do it solo is probably uh, maybe too much, Ian, but. <laughs> It's hard to kind of say, hey, you want to come on talk Mandalorian when there's often times, I mean, this is, I think, the longest episode we've done, 
But uh, a lot of that was uh, dedicated to Boba Fett kind of stuff and Tynoth. Uh, oh, I didn't talk about Dr. Afra. So if you're still listening by this point, we want to just do a quick read. Uh, read the Dr. Afra. Well, first read the Darth Vader comic right at the beginning of the Kieran Gillen run. Uh, Dr. Afra is a great, 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 great character. Uh, basically as good as Ahsoka to now. And uh, she's a comic. She'll she, I, she will definitely make an appearance at some point, if not in the Mandalorian, somewhere else. But uh, she's fabulous, and the time frame, the era. Uh, I, I I would not discredit. I would not rule out a Doctor Afra appearance before the show's over. But uh, that's great. Tynoth made its first appearance in Doctor Afra. The comic that is a the comic book for Doctor Afra is a spinoff of the Darth Vader comic, which is also excellent. Kieran Gillen is a great 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 writer. Did a lot of work on X-Men. Uh, plenty of other stuff as well. Uh, so that's really fun. That's really all I've got now. I want to thank everybody for listening. Two more episodes left. Very sad. But uh, I thank you. I mean, two two episodes left. We, uh, we just want to say thanks, everybody, for uh, sticking with us. It's been fun. I've had a lot of fun. I love Star Wars. And, uh, you know, as much as the show... The show is not Game of Thrones. There's not... You know, it's not 40 chests to kind of analyze everything, but uh, there's a lot of fun stuff to talk about. And uh, thank you for taking time out of your week, your Saturday, for uh, some, some, some Baby Yoda fun. And it's been fun. So thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next time.